The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. The next time Neil Gorsuch speaks in public, he may be taking his oath as a Supreme Court justice. He finished his Senate confirmation testimony yesterday, and Democrats must now decide whether to try to block a vote on the Senate floor. With Republicans in control of the chamber, that looks to be an uphill fight. Republicans are hoping to get him confirmed in time for the last Supreme Court arguments of the term during the last two weeks of April. With us to talk about Neil Gorsuch is Rafael Mangual, Project Manager for Legal Policy at the Manhattan Institute, and Michelle Joando, Vice President of Legal Process Progress at the Center for American Progress. Um, Michelle, Judge Gorsuch clearly isn't somebody that Democrats would have nominated. He's a conservative, uh, but there are a lot of legal conservatives in this country. Is there any evidence he is outside the mainstream? Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. And I'm actually calling you from um, the Senate Hart Building, where um, we are preparing to head back into um, the the last few witness panels of his nomination. Um, I have the pleasure and the privilege of working on two other Supreme Court nominations, that of Judge Sotomayor and Kagan. And I will say this, while we recognize that each president has their own prerogative to put forth um, whoever uh, their nominee would be, I think it's important to recognize that the kind of process of selecting a Supreme Court nominee has consequences. I think what's very different about this moment is the backdrop in which Neil Gorsuch is being put forth. You know, for the first time in history, uh, we ha- we saw a nominee from President Obama not receive uh, a hearing and in some cases wasn't even given the courtesy of meeting. You saw a president who has constantly shown his disdain, not just for uh, individual judges, but for the role of judges in the judiciary writ large, particularly when it comes to a number of his policies. And for the first time ever, we saw in some ways this process was farmed out to two, what I think many people would consider um, conservative, more right-wing organizations who selected the names of the people who would be considered. And Raphael, so Raphael, Judge Gorsuch refused to answer questions on anything concerning his legal views or personal convictions. Harvard Law Professor Noah Feldman has written a Bloomberg View column today saying ethically there's nothing wrong with a nominee speaking about Supreme Court precedent or issues that might come before the court in the future unless the nominee commented specifically on the facts of a particular case. Do you agree with Professor Feldman? Well, no, I think I disagree a little bit. Um, you know, I, 
while it may not necessarily be a violation of the law, I think judicial ethics require judges to approach whatever cases they might that might come before them neutrally. And I don't think that it would be proper for a judge nominated for a seat on the Supreme Court to make comments or predictions about how he or she is going to rule in cases that haven't even come before him yet. And so I think what Neil Gorsuch was trying to say throughout the course of the hearing, whenever he was asked to comment on what he would say in this or that situation, was really just that you know, at the, at the end of the day, these are the principles of judging to which I subscribe. And depending on the facts of the case and the arguments made in that particular case, you know, I will apply those principles neutrally. And I think that's the best you can ever, you know, ask a, a Supreme Court justice to do. But, I would be troubled if he were, you know, to, to opine on, on the specifics of how he might rule in one situation or another ahead of but time. he refused to even talk about cases of a Supreme Court. There is no ethical rule, is there? Against no, I, I, there's there's no ethical rule that prevents him from talking about cases before the Supreme Court. But he, you know, he he actually went through several of the precedents um, that the Supreme Court has decided, explained them, you know, in response to the questions, and explained how he would approach applying those precedents. I mean, I think he actually did do a pretty good job of of, of explaining how he felt about those those cases. Michelle, one thing that Judge Gorsuch pointed out on several occasions is he said, if you don't like this or that Supreme Court decision. In many cases, not all, but many, Congress has the power to change the law. So, you know, voting rights, mandatory arbitration clauses. Isn't the the real problem for people who who oppose his nomination at the ballot box rather than than the courts? Well, without question, you know, we in this democracy have the ability to select who our representatives are, and if there are issues, we can use that as an opportunity to make the distinction of uh, what we would prefer in seeing actualized. But what's very important to recognize as we consider uh, are the three different separations of power and the branches, the co-equal branches of government. If a legislator passes a piece of legislation and that legislation is then challenged, it will end up before the court. And if it is an extremely complex and difficult question to consider, then that issue will then end up before the Supreme Court. And that's why who sits on the Supreme Court matters, because it is not a robotic exercise that one <clears throat> one piece of legislation will sit for time immemorial. If it's a really difficult question, it will end up before a court. And that's why who sits on the court and their interpretation of the Constitution and the way that you interpret that law law using the text as using the text of the constitution as your base document that's why it is so important that we consider all of these factors you're listening to bloomberg law as he finished his supreme court confirmation testimony yesterday neil gorsuch left the senators as divided as he found them democrat sheldon whitehouse said he saw a pattern on the supreme court of republican appointed justices favoring corporate interests at the expense of average people gorsuch pushed back i'm distressed to hear you think that judges or the Supreme Court is an organ of a party. That to me is just, I know know you feel that way. And and that distresses me. It distresses me too. And I just don't. Quite a lot. I just don't see judging that way. Our guests to talk about Neil Gorsuch are Raphael Mangual of the Manhattan Institute and Michelle Jawando of the Center for American Progress. Raphael, judges love saying they're not politicians in robes, but don't we basically know that on the large majority of of the important cases, the cases that, you know, people pay attention to at the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Gorsuch 
Gorsuch is going to vote the way most Republicans would like. I mean, I don't think that's a, that's actually that obvious. I mean, if you look at Judge Gorsuch's record, I think he'd surprise a lot of people, particularly on the left, insofar as he's actually a, a very much a friend to criminal defendants um, and and religious minorities when you know when applying the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So I, I, I don't think it's necessarily um, you know laid out in stone how he's going to rule in a particular case. Now, as a conservative, you know, you can expect him to apply originalism, and the nice thing about originalism is that irrespective of the judge's views, if you apply it correctly, you can kind of guess how they're going to rule on a particular statute, uh, statutory interpretation issue. But that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's ideologically motivated. I mean, his ideology... I think, um, values a certain system of judging, and that system of judging, I believe, is, is one of the most neutral, if not the most neutral, that you can apply. So, you know, to the extent that, that you get consistent results, I don't think it's a function of, of ideological drive. Michelle, Justice Scalia also diverged from strict conservatism in certain respects involving police cases. Um, in any other ways, can we expect Judge Gorsuch to divert from the conservative viewpoint? You know, I think if we let, take, for instance, his his um, authorship on Hobby Lobby, which was later affirmed by the Supreme Court, but I will say at the time it was what many considered a radical reading of looking at the RIFRA laws, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. I think many people interpret that as connected to a pattern um, that is particularly hostile in its approach to women's issues or issues around reproductive rights. And though he hasn't ruled directly on the issue of abortion, I think many people tend to believe that there is a pattern that has emerged, both in his treatment on uh, that issue, as well as even yesterday, the Supreme Court in an 8-0 ruling um, rejected a theory that he put forth around the Individuals with Disabilities Act, and the Chief Justice actually authored that opinion in saying that the standard that Judge Gorsuch used was incorrect. And so I think that there are a number of issues where there are good reasons why you have seen people on the left raise concern about him joining the court. And I think it's important to also recognize that these hearings are and the only opportunity that individuals have to examine a judicial philosophy of an individual, and that's why they should be more than just a, um, a, a a simple audition. In some ways, we should have a sense of who you are. This is not four years with a president, but this is actually 40 years, um, and it's really important to recognize that. Raphael, I want to spend just a minute talking about the confirmation process. Do you see any realistic chance that Neil Gorsuch will not be be confirmed to the Supreme Court? No, I don't. Um, you know, Chuck Schumer made some noise on the Senate floor earlier today, you know, saying, indicating that, that um, the judge would need 60 votes to get through. And if that's really the case, I think he'll get it. Um, you know, at, at some point, the Republicans will have to, you know, confront the fact that they have an option open to them if the Democrats do filibuster. And I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't take it if, that, if that's necessary. And Michelle, what's your opinion on that? 
Well, I think it's unfortunate as someone who would consider herself a Senate traditionalist. I don't think we should get in the habit of blowing up 100-year-old rules. I think if there's actually an issue and Judge Gorsuch isn't able to get 60 votes, we should change the nominee and not change the rules that have um, conducted our behavior on high court nominees for time immemorial. I think it would be another really low blow for the Senate and only drive further partisanship um, here in the nation's capital. But Michelle, do you see any chance that the Democrats might might succeed if they do do block a vote, um, uh, or should we just assume it's going to be Justice Gorsuch? You know, I don't think we should ever make any assumptions. Um, I think November eighth, uh, twenty sixteen, uh, taught us that. But I don't think without um, that it is a definite that Judge Gorsuch will be on the court. I think a number of senators, including Senator Casey and Senator Schumer, as the minority leader coming out today strongly, that is a signal to other people in the caucus. And I'm not quite sure that he has the votes he needs. So I think we should all stay tuned to see what happens next. Okay, let's definitely stay tuned. And I want to thank our guest. That was Michelle Jawando of the Center for American Progress and Rafael Mangual of the Manhattan Institute talking about uh, Neil Gorsuch and uh, his confirmation hearing, which is concluding today with some outside witnesses talking about him. And then the next step will be the Senate floor. Coming up, uh, what does the Westminster attack tell us about the United Kingdom's vulnerability to terrorists? And we'll talk about something else that happened with the Supreme Court yesterday, a new ruling involving cheerleading uniforms, and the Supreme Court bolsters legal protections for pictures and graphic designs. That's all coming up on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.